0: Today's podcast is sponsored by Brandestock's Polearm Emporium. You can find Brandestock's in Upper Ramsbottom Street, in the town of Thornistons, just past Mrs. Cockle's Codpiece Boutique. Brandestock's Polearm Emporium sells a wide range of halberds, glaives, and bohemian earspoons. Earspoons? That's not a real thing, is it? Ridiculous. What is this nonsense, anyway? I can't believe I'm reduced to flogging this low-class commoner tap to pay my rent. Anyway, go to Branderstocks for pointy sticks. Now listen to this podcast, which today features two of my lesser henchmen, Russ Morrissey and Peter Coffey. They may be joined by Angus of Branson, who I understand is some sort of hobbit or goblin or some such. Now leave me alone.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Morris' unofficial tabletop RPG news. As always, I am Russ, aka Morris, and with me are my two cunning and deadly compatriots.
2: Yes, hi, I'm Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers, delighted as ever to be here.
3: And I'm Angus Abramson, I'm level 4 human fighter. Few extra experience
2: points from last time, but not enough to level up. Oh, that level drain is going to be a thing. You- it's... You need to stop fighting the ghouls.
3: Yeah, it's really kind of like uh, put me back a few, t- you know, a
0: few months. It's terrible. My idiot henchmen will now discuss what's caught their eye today. If you pretend to care, I can pay them less.
1: Okay, let's start with you this week, Angus, as we always start with Peter. What this week has
3: caught your eye in the RPG industry? Well, one of the things that's uh, certainly jumped to the forefront of my my lust as well at the moment is the new Star Wars slipcase that Fantasy Flight Games have just brought out.
1: Ah, um, oh, that's the D6 system it's, resurrected.
3: It's the old West End Games D6 version from the 1980s. And uh, West End Games um, were brought by Nocturnal Game Design a few years ago. And they have done a deal with Fantasy Flight for Fantasy Flight to be able to re- re-release, reprint the the, the core cool rule book and the Star Wars source book as a lovely slip case as the 30th anniversary edition using the original rules, original print, and everything else, better quality oh. paper and everything, but it looks stunning. So when can I get this thing? It has actually started hitting stores now. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. I, I heard reports of some of the places in the US getting it last week and it's certainly hitting UK stores this week.
1: Woohoo!
3: I'll be able to get one straight away. So, Peter.
2: Ah, oh, well, this week I have been Mostly in North Wales, which is lovely. I've been playing a lot of board games. I've also been caving, uh, making my way around a former slate mine, ziplining, crawling along things, crawling over things. Is, Is that why you're so pale this week? Yes, that is why I'm hair and <laughs> well,
1: The rest of us are all red and sunburned. Here comes Peter walking in like a ghoul. Like I said, I'm a son
2: by nature. Gollum, gollum. <laughs> what has it got in his pockets? It's precious. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Uh, things that I did see was something that very, very much excited me was a uh, thing called Metroplex, which I think Angus was shouting out. And that's a Kickstarter, uh, which I wasn't sure I could look at, but then Angus said it was a film, so it was okay. That's a good bit.
1: So Metroplex, what's that then?
2: Metroplex, it is designed for fans of both Bright and Shadowrun. So they clearly have seen the exciting world of elves, orcs, dwarves, and wizards meet high-tech. and. and so Bright that
1: being point? that Netflix movie that was yeah, starring right. Will Smith a few months back.
2: Precisely, yes, uh, which was uh, met with a mixed reception. Uh, the main thing that people complained about was it didn't have enough time to do its world- world-building. So, in this case, what they're doing is they're trying to make a 10-minute concept film, uh, trying to write, raise about £25,000, so, what's that, about $40,000? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're <laughs> Who fine. knows? Yeah. They're trying to make some money. Some dollars. <laughs> they're trying to make some money, not, a, not an immense amount, uh, in order so that they can uh, actually put it together and have it on TV. Uh, so. I'm pretty excited by that. That does sound good.
1: You can find that on Kickstarter, can you? Definitely on Kickstarter. No idea. Well, my thing this week, hmm. I wanted to talk about Pathfinder 2 again. I know I did a couple of weeks ago, but they did a preview of the new Ranger class. Is this one of the
2: archetypes or the actual no, class
1: No, the, the actual Ranger class. So, as, as you know, sort of Rangers in D&D and Pathfinder and things kind of range the gamut from sort of Aragorn-esque sort of wilderness hmm. Strider... Um, yeah. through to sort of dual-wielding, drow, m- magical creatures. Yes. My preference tends to be towards the Aragorn-esque kind of end of it, which is why I, I quite like the sort of uh, Middle-earth 5e thing from H- Cubicle 7. Mm-hmm. Um, so this ranger for Pathfinder 2 looks like it skews towards that end of the spectrum.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he's basically a hunter, a trapper, a mm-hmm. wilderness guy. He has no spells Oh. No magical abilities, so he's a you know he's a sort of skill based wilderness rugged outdoorsman, which definitely Ooh. hits me right in the sweet spot. I'm really looking forward to seeing that.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, now, when's the Pathfinder Two playtest actually going to be available? Basically, GenCon. Okay. Um, I got mm-hmm.
1: an I got an email last week, or was it this week? I can't remember when from um, peso dot com for their pre orders saying that the uh, cards are being charged on Monday. Which is today, I think. Is it today, Monday?
3: Oh, it was a couple of days ago. It's a couple of days ago. Today's Wednesday, oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Crazy, so,
1: Charles, Karl's to be in charge today, and then presumably the pre-orders go out shortly thereafter.
2: Mm-hmm. Moving swiftly on. Yes. Well, yeah, I can see why you would like the new range archetype. You do have a, you do have that Vigo Mortensen look about you. Is it the beard? Yes, of
0: course. I will now instruct my minions to discuss the latest RPG news. Minions. Discuss the latest RPG news. Time for the news.
2: Time for the news.
3: Has there been any news? Well, one of the
0: breaking stories of last
3: week was Altasorian Games. It's a a company that's been around since the 80s, made famous uh, through games like Cyberpunk 2020, Castle Falkenstein. They have been developing for the last few years a role-playing game based upon The Witcher novels and computer games. I saw Mm -hmm. that, yeah. And The Witcher role-playing game is going to be debuted at Gen Con, in August uh, at the same time they're going to be making the PDFs available as well um, but then it's an advanced release mm-hmm. um, they're getting some copies shipped in extra special for Gen Con before mm-hmm. the full run comes through that, that will then be available through distribution of stores
1: so pretend just for the moment <laughs> that I don't know what the Witcher is just pretend <laughs> and just explain it to me as if I didn't know what that was I
2: totally know what it is you see, this is really what I thought you had me yeah, on, to ask this whole sort of question. <laughs> what, what, what is The
3: Witcher? <laughs> the Witcher was based upon a series of novels uh, uh, by a Polish author called Andrzej Sapkowski, I believe his name is pronounced. Mm-hmm. It was turned into a video game that became a video game series by CD Projekt Red, who mm-hmm. are also a company that's doing the Cyberpunk 2077 Computer game um, mm-hmm. that's been getting mm-hmm. a lot of buzz. The actual Witcher series is set in a fanta- medieval fantasy world. Um, it follows a guy called that does yeah. a medieval yeah. fantasy world. Um, yeah, basically Double. he's a it's it's um, the Witcher, he's a, fan- a a traveling monster hunter with supernatural powers. Now, don't know what the role play yeah, obviously you're going to be playing Witches in the role playing game, um, but I don't know how yeah, you know, what other character types or anything else that might be available? Yeah, like, Presumably, they'll keep it very tight to the. Source well, of I guess accurate. we'll find out at Gen Con then. We'll be we finding mean. out in a few weeks time at Gen Con.
1: So, if, in other news, were you two aware of the uh, legal battle over the BattleTech MechWarrior franchise? I'd
3: heard something about it. Hmm. The game okay. the uh, game's quite good.
1: Yeah, so uh, basically, this is, well, this is a really short version, summarised by Daryl, actually, in his um, latest column. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, um, go back to 1984, FASA Corporation create Battletech. Um, and this is used a, a bunch of sort of mech designs, um, licensed from an anime called uh, Macross. Macross. Mm. In the following year, a company called Harmony Gold also licensed the same cartoon, um, to make a cartoon franchise called Robotech. Uh-huh. So basically we've got these two companies that are both licensed um, mech designs from the same cartoon.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so fast forward to like the mid-90s, um, uh, we've got this uh, legal dispute over who has the uh, proper license to those mech designs from the original Macross... Um, Cartoon. Um, it looks like this um, This lawsuit's been going on for decades, basically. Yeah, since since, since, since the 90s. Um, it's finally been settled. It's a oh. sealed settlement, so we don't get to see exactly what happened. But it turns oh. out uh, both companies will now be using the designs. Oh, okay. Don't know if any other sort of strictures or money exchange hands or anything, but basically now both uh, companies are allowed to use the designs, and the, um, the lawsuit's been um, settled with prejudice. Which basically means they're not allowed to bring it up again. Oh, okay. Um, in other news, um, The Expanse. I know, Angus, you're a fan of The Expanse. You've read all the books, haven't the,
3: you? Yeah, the, the novels are fantastic. I've been really enjoying the TV
1: series. I've been following well. the TV series. I haven't read the novels. Oh, you should. they amazing. amazing. Um, so um, about a year ago, Green Running announced they were producing a role-playing game based on The, the Expanse. Fantastic. uses their adventure game engine series. Ooh. So, there's a Kickstarter they've announced is going to be launching later this month before the game is released at Gen Con in August.
3: Oh, is the game actually being released in
1: August? Apparently so, so we can jump on that
3: pretty quickly, I think. That's going to be a very short Kickstarter then, because for Kickstarter, there's not a lot of time between
2: now and Gen Con. (laughs) Either way, there'll be a lot of very excited people, because uh, really quality... The sci-fi universe like The Expanse doesn't come along every day. Hmm.
3: And also, there's a lot of love of the age system as well, um, because they recently mm. released Modern Age, of course, which yeah. is their modern version. The, the system's been used for a number of games that they've done in the past and has been very popular.
2: Any names I've heard of? Dragon Age. Right. Which obviously
3: yeah. was uh, yeah, a licensed game, mm. but uh, they've also then done their own Fantasy Age, mm. um, obviously Modern Age, which is the one that's just come out. Oh, so. Of course. Right.
1: Okay. Uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4. Mm. Uh, cubicle Seven have um, given us a quick look at the career list. Uh, so we've got um, eight classes of careers, each of which has eight careers, each of which has four levels. So basically, sixty-four careers, each of which
2: is that divided into four um, levels. Big change. Mm-hmm. Presum- in the original up uh, what you had was you had to advance your character by changing careers, whereas this sounds a lot more like they've got people in a career are able to advance within it, which. Uh, only, think, only like
3: four stages, though I think not that. It's, it's not like a class system.
2: That's literally four times as many as
3: they had before. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but if that's, it sounds like you've, if they've got. If they still got the career advancements hmm. thing, because obviously in the original one you had the preferred careers that you could yes. move into, which I guess is what career they've divided into, yeah. you know, into their fours. And presumably it's still got the rat catcher. Well, I was oh, trying to get the... to that before you two oh, interrupted.
1: Because <laughs> oh. I've got the news item right in front of me while you two speculate right? away. <laughs> oh.
2: I've got the actual facts here. <laughs> hey, that small but vicious dog. <laughs> oh we got one more <laughs> of those.
1: Uh, so basically, so we've got the eight classes of careers. Each of which has eight, um, careers within. So the eight classes of careers. Yeah. are academics, burgers, B-U-R-G-H-E-R-S, obviously. Oh, so ham is not, uh, available. No. Uh, courtiers, yes. mm-hmm. peasants, rangers, river folk, rogues, and warriors. And the rat
3: catcher is in there. <sighs> what career class does it fall under? It is... It's a burger. Well, you can buy my rat burgers if you like, sir. Yes, oh. it's
1: a burger. Along with the other burgers are agitator, artisan, beggar, investigator, merchant, townsman, watchman,
2: and the rat catcher. I'm sensing a Terry Pratchett conversion coming up in my head. Yeah. Rat on a stick, $2. two Rat on a stick with ketchup, $5. Why is, is it so much more mean? expensive? Have you ever tried rat on a stick without ketchup? <laughs>
1: Um, so would you like to hear about the peasant classes eight careers
2: not so much <laughs> go on then tell me about the peasant classes eight careers but they're peasants who cares about the peasants i know right so we'll
3: just
1: we'll just jump into one of these yeah, yeah let's yeah. Uh, let's jump into which one would you like to hear the bailiff the mm. hedge witch the herbalist hunter minor mystic scout or villager which of those would you like to hear Oh, Mystic. First one to save. Mystic, okay. Uh, so Mystic, those four levels that we mm. mentioned earlier, are Fortune Teller, Mystic, Sage, and
2: Seer. Oh, interesting. So when you say four levels, these are things people can progress in, or four sub-options?
1: Yeah. I think it's four ranks, but I'm not 100% sure. I guess we'll find out when it actually comes out.
2: Because from what it
1: says... Oh, no, right, so they've oh. given us a, a zoom in on the um, apothecary... Um, yeah, so basically the apothecaries for for uh, Apothecary's Apprentice, Apothecary, Master Apothecary, and Apothecary General, and they sort of progress one at a time.
3: So oh. if you stay within your closing, chosen class, you'll get better and better and better. From there, you know, yeah, you?
2: But you won't be able to diversify your skill portfolio. Interesting, interesting. I can feel my inner number cruncher striving to get out.
0: <laughs> this is a segment that I like to call... Our favourite game in all the world. Guess what the Kickstarter's about from hearing just the name and nothing else. Catchy, isn't it?
1: Right, shall we play our favourite game in all the world? Yay. Guess the Kickstarter from hearing just the name and nothing else. My favouritest game ever. Come on, let's do it. I know you love it. Angus? Can I play? Can I play? No, you may not.
4: Oh, no. You may
1: sit in the corner with a dunce's cap on and wait for us to finish. Okay, as always, Angus can't play because we base this on the column he writes so he knows all the answers. But you can help with the scoring. Ah,
3: that's <laughs> that's, that's my favourite <laughs> job.
1: All right then, number one. Yes, number one. What
2: is this? Tiny supers. Mm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to take a wild guesses about people with superpowers and tiny supers. Well, it could mean child superheroes, but what I prefer to think about it... Is it's a microscopic world where you have all these super powered beings be- which have the strength of ants, say, Ant Man, because they are literally Did you say superpowered Super powered beings. 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 Yes. Super powered <laughs> beings, that would be another. Oh, wow, yeah. Like you'd have all sorts of legumes doing all sorts of action. Mm.
1: That's,
2: well, you know,
1: you got the supers, not so much the tiny, so 5 oh. out of 10. Oh. Um, so you're correct, it is a game about supers. Uh-huh. The Tiny refers not to the superheroes themselves, but to the game system. Have you heard of the Tiny D6 system? I I clearly have not.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so the Tiny D6 system is basically a very sort of stripped down, very simple um, game system, which I believe uses, what, 1D6? And this is basically a superhero um, RPG using that system. Oh, they've got some really nice artwork as well. Yeah, a nice,
2: a nice sort of cartoony artwork there. Uh, I'm, I'm very much liking the style. Tiny Supers. That is Tiny Supers. Uh, and that one kicks off starting soon you say
3: no it's it's, it's out now Kickstarter so anyway. out now um, ah. now one one of the things with the tiny Supers we have a tiny games that they do is one of the things that's a really good selling point is they get a whole bunch of different authors to come up with mm. a thousand word settings or 1500 word settings so very very compact small you know cover like tiny, very you say sorry Tiny, you say? Yeah, tiny, tiny little settings. Um, And they can be across, you know, kind of like anything to do with the subject matter. Mm. So basically, Gallant Light Games have approached a load of authors and people within the industry, written up a whole bunch of little settings, and they're included in the main book, alongside, for the first time, they've got their official... Main setting in there, which they've called the mm. uh, Gallant Verse, Gallant Night Games, of course, um, which is their core superhero setting, uh, which is the first time that they've actually put in their own official main call call setting alongside all the micro settings. Fantastic, big step forward for Gallant Night Games. It's certainly an interest, yeah, interesting move on their part.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, what's next? This might
2: be a little more difficult. Secrets of the Nether City it is never spelt N E T H E R. Yes. Marvelous. It's super difficult because I have no idea what it is, but I will say potentially it's making a reference to the netherworld. So I'm hoping for some sort of fairy realm set city, which has, and this is some sort of source book for it. Don't have any idea what the system is, but I am intrigued. Hmm.
1: Would you like me to tell you? Go on then. Okay then. Secrets of the Nether City. It's an adventure for the Adventurer Conqueror King system, uh-huh. an OSR game, um, and it's based in a uh, what they call a kilo dungeon, as opposed to a mega dungeon. Um, yeah, <laughs> so it's, a, it's a big dungeon, 240 different location entries um, spread across 20 different um, regions. Ooh. Yeah, that's basically it.
3: It's a massive dungeon. It's a, uh, you know... Multi-level, multi-location dungeon. It can be done in a non-linear um, format. So basically, it's yeah, it's a bit of a sandbox dungeon in some respects. So players, mm-hmm. the GM can take them wherever. Yeah, yeah. yeah there isn't a cover kind of like a, a a direct route that they have to actually take for it. Um, there's four new character classes brought into the Adventurer King system, um, mm-hmm. which are the Elven Cultist, Hierophant. And Warlord, plus another one, which um, I have failed to write down. I've said four, mm. and I've listed three, because so so how competent I can be. So, so I fourth mystery class. Yes. The uh, fourth one, you'll have to go to their Kickstarter campaign and check to see what it
2: is. I oh, smell the professionalism. And
1: let's move on after people scored almost
2: no points there. <laughs> Woohoo! Hall of Judgment. Nice. Well, I'm going to get out of them here and so say it's a hall where you get judged. <laughs>
1: okay then I suppose it's not an unreasonable guess
2: (laughs) is is there no subtitler I think
1: um not really so it's a a Viking flavoured adventure or at least um, it's based on a Viking flavoured adventure um, called Lost Hall of Ty um written for D&D 5th edition and the Dragon Heresy setting Mm. um it's been adapted into now a micro setting for uh dungeon fantasy the um the GURPS game,
2: Ooh, okay, and so Vikings Hall of Judgment. Still not getting a lot of it. Maybe it's like going to hell or something like that. But can't tell you.
1: Um, who will take up the Tear Staken, armed with their wits, their weapons, and an ancient riddle, and rediscover the lost Hall of Judgment?
2: Okay, so reference to the Viking God of War Tear. Yeah, fair enough.
1: Hey, what's up next? Well, I am gonna give you sort of three out of ten for that one. I mean, you noticed that it was a horn and there was some
2: judgment involved. We only we're only we're only fairing To
1: be fair, if you'd gotten Vikings out of that, I'd have been impressed.
2: Not half as impressed as I would.
1: Uh, next. Villainous Compendium Villains and Henchmen. Just mate,
2: this sounds exactly like the one I just guessed. Um. <laughs> it's not far off, it's but not exactly the same. So it's. Uh, I'm going to say it's some sort of fifth edition source book, maybe Pathfinder, got allowed for that 10%. And it's going to be full of villainous, villains, villains, henchmen, and other NPCs that you can use to populate your adventures.
1: 10 out of 10, sir. Woo! Wow, that yeah. was impressive. It's almost like you heard the title and it basically (laughs) told you in the title. (laughs) That's a good title! (laughs) Uh, So you're exactly right. It's a 300 to 500 page full colour book. Um, It's for Pathfinder, um, but they are planning to do a 5th edition version 2. Nice. It contains 35 villains and 58 henchmen and associated NPCs, making over 90 villainous characters for you to use in your game. In total, it says 375 complete stat blocks, because they use something called, they're calling it a quadded stat block treatment. Um, So you get four stat blocks for each character supporting,
2: like, different levels. Oh, okay, yeah. Different tiers, different levels. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, that sounds quite good,
3: huh? I think it's going to be very detailed, because they're saying that each of the villains is going to be between 10 and 50 pages long. So that's wow. a lot of information about yeah, obviously the villain themselves, but also the whole organisation around each. Yeah, it
1: games. looks like they've got like maps, lairs, um, plot hooks, rumours, backgrounds, all sorts of stuff for every yeah. single one.
3: They, I think I think they reckon that each villain, if you just use them in your own games, you could oh. get one to three sessions mm-hmm. of of play out of each one, given the information that they've just the base information they've got in the book I'll for look them. Look at right. that one. Right? Okay, let's go on to the next
1: one. Okay. Dark Times, what's that? (laughs) I'm sorry, that is the name I didn't... (laughs)
4: Bye.
1: Dark Times.
2: What what does that say to you? It says that the times times aren't good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Dark Times, Dark Times, Dark Times. The
3: Dark Times role-playing game sees us enter a world of blank.
2: Cheese. I'm not going to say cheese, because that would just be clearly cretinously (laughs) wrong um dark times well fantasy is possible dark times i don't know i'm hoping for some sort of modern day tell you what the game i'm hoping when i pick up a book that says dark times is a game that's all about role-playing in the modern age and dealing with the rise of neo-fascists and all that sort of jazz nope oh no cyberpunk Okay. Uh corporations have created super hum- uh superhumans, sorry. Mm-hmm.
1: Um these superhumans are a property of the company, but they don't necessarily like this fact. Mm-hmm. And some of them are trying to become rogues and criminals while others mm-hmm. are renegades just trying to
2: survive. Mm. So far, so slay industries. Right, let's crack on. Survive the night. Ooh, survival horror. Not a bad guess there. Probably got some zombies going on because those are traditional but I would be hoping for maybe some yetis. Kill a Bigfoot.
1: There's no yetis mentioned, but you are correct. It is definitely a horror role-playing game. Hey! Uh, It's supposed to be beginner-friendly, it says. It uses a D6 mechanic. Uh Not a lot else to say here. Um, Survive the Night is a horror RPG that throws you up against the stuff of nightmare with nothing but your wits and whatever eclectic advantages your character may possess. And the last one. Yep. The dice hoarder enamel pin. Is
2: hoarder H O R D E or H O Ah. H O No H O A R D E R. Oh okay, so somebody who likes collecting dice. One who hoards. One who hoards, yes. As opposed to a hoard of hoards. I don't know if it's an enamel pin in the shape of a dice or with a dice hoarder logo on it. Um, There are dice on it. Oh. Yes, um, Yeah,
3: the dice holder enamel pin is actually a really cute little um, pin. There's a series of four going to be made for them. They're about one and a half inches big, and each one has got a dragon curled round or somehow with a selection of the polyhedral dice. So it's oh. a really nice little kind of like gamer, gamer pin. Nice oh. and cutesy.
2: you got like a white one, yellow one, red one, and a green one. Oh, they're very cute. And now for an intermittent sketch starring Phileas Blakemore, monster psychiatrist. Here we have an orc with anger issues. So,
3: Mr. Urk is it, um, what seems to be a problem? Well, doc, I've not, not, not been myself lately. Oh, you've not been yourself? Ah, got anger issues in it. You mean you find you've been getting very angry for no good reason?
4: Ah, I've not been getting angry.
3: Ah, oh, I see, and this is a problem for you. Yeah,
4: I'm an orc, innit? I'm, I'm supposed to be angry, but I'm just not. Could you elaborate? I'm not sure I follow. Well, I'm supposed to be guarding the Dark Lady's fortress of eternal darkness, like, and then when some hero shows up, I'm supposed to lose my rag and stab him, innit? Ah, okay,
3: I, I think I follow. But instead, I'm just, like, not fast, and I'm
4: just happy, innit? I see. Um, what do you t- attribute this um, happiness to? I don't know, really. Things have been going really well. The nipper's been going to school and getting his O-levels. O-levels? Orc levels. He, he got an A in fighting and a B in pillaging. Plunder than burn, Dad, that's what he says to me. It's more profitable. I, I uh, see he'll be war chief.
3: Uh, that's excellent news, surely.
4: Zary, am I supposed to get angry if everything's going so well?
3: Ah, yes, I can see that's certainly a head stretcher. Um, I must admit, Mr, um... Ork. Uh, Mr Ork, dealing with these sort of things doesn't exactly lie in my ex- area of expertise. Have you considered speaking with a life coach?
4: Speaking with a life Oh, That's more than my job's worth, that is. Go on, Dark, you gotta help me. And Orc, don't get angry, well, that's no good, is it? No good to
3: anyone! Hmm, I see, I see. Well, I suppose I could help you, but um no, no, that's You not can sure. do something to help me, what is it? No, I'm I'm sorry, i will be absolutely I'm. Come on, tell me. No, I I must really Yeah, help me out! Sorry. Ah, Ah, feeling angry. Yeah.
4: Thanks, Doc.
3: Yeah. Just remember this conversation and away you go. Yeah. Ah. So, guys, we got some reviews. Did we? Hmm. People been saying nice things about us. Amazing, isn't it? It's very, very rare that people say nice things about me. Thank you, listeners, for (laughs) letting Russ have a smile on his face for a change. I think he cracked. Would you like to hear these reviews? Yes, it'd be lovely. They are quite lovely.
1: So the first one is from somebody called Admalets. These are all on iTunes, mm-hmm. who says, very, very kindly, I think, Morris and Ian World have been invaluable member of the RPG community, and I'm so happy to hear the podcast. Nice five-star review there. Thank you very much, Admalets. Oh, that's amazing. That's really sweet. Thank We've you. got one from Tiny Fry also on iTunes. Mm-hmm. What a great podcast! The hosts really know their stuff. I'm not sure if Tiny Fry has been listening to the podcast. <laughs> I think they just have the wrong podcast. But <laughs> thank you all the same. And engaging to boot. Keep it up. Oh, that's really nice. Uh, DDV More on iTunes says, mm-hmm. "I'm really enjoying this podcast." Gives a good look at the new stuff out there. And I'm really liking the little skits they're performing as well. adds a great new element to the podcast that I haven't come across before.
2: Well, well thank you very much, DDV. More,
1: most that was kind. kind. Finally, from Captain Ares again on iTunes, says a must if you are keen on RPGs. Big fan of listening to these guys having a chat about current topical subjects around tabletop RPG gaming. I personally found the Market Crunch commentary quite insightful and the rise and fall of RPG companies and studios. Please
2: more. Wow. That's totally a podcast I would listen to. Thank you, Captain Harris. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, and certainly folks out at home, your praise is one of the things that absolutely keeps us going. So if you want us to succeed, if you like what we're doing, please let us know. We are on iTunes, all over the shop. So if you write us a review, and for some reason I think due to their ranking system, it has to be five stars, we would really, really appreciate that. So give us a, give us a rating, give us a review. That would be fantastic.
1: Right then, what's our topic of the week? It is licensed RPGs. There has been a lot of RPGs over the last few decades. Licensed has been Star Wars, Star Trek, Indiana Jones. Ooh. The list goes on. There's been, you know, literally hundreds of them. I was just
2: wondering, you two, what, what are your favourite licensed RPGs? That's an excellent question. I never really thought about what licensed RPGs I've generally not gone with licensed. Because one of the first things you do with GMing is you tend to take ideas and throw them overboard. But having said that, I've just realised I really loved the Laundry RPG, which is a former Cubicle 7 product. In fact, it might still be a Cubicle 7 product. And in fact, how I met Angus, because he was. Uh, it was his day That's above. not the story I heard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's not that steam room. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, it's just, it's got to do
4: with the laundry. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's just, over stuff. Over. <laughs> no, the, the laundry is uh, a set of books by a chap called Charles Stross, who is a currently, I think Edinburgh based writer with a vast range of knowledge. It's full of jokes about the civil service, computer game hacking, and all sorts of nerd references to Cthulhu and so forth. I, Really like his books, and certainly the laundry stuff is fantastic. Yeah,
3: the, the laundry is a fantastic series. I, I read the Atrocity Archive, which was the first mm. book that came out in the series, and I'd known Charles for a while beforehand, but hadn't actually realized he was an author. <laughs> I mean, before, but you know, outside of all of that, um, and I found out he was an author, did this book, so I read it, loved it, mm-hmm. um, gave a copy to Dom, who's uh now running Cubicle 7, mm-hmm. and uh, basically said, you yeah, know, let's let's try and get licensed. So we contacted Charles Stross and managed to, uh, managed to do the deal. And oh. that's how the Laundry was, was born. But um, the, it was using the BRP system from yeah. Kojim. Um, basic role-playing Call of Cthulhu. Basic role-playing Call of yeah. Cthulhu system. Um, it, it went out of print at the end of 2017 uh, mm. due to a change in licensing between Cubicle 7 and Kojim. Um, I believe they've still got the Laundry license and mm. might be doing something new with it that won't be using the basic role-play system. But I have no idea what, when, or anything else at the time being,
2: because mm. there's about seven or eight books uh, spanning mm. about what ten, fifteen years of sort of alternate history. Uh, I think they've touched on all sorts of things, including superheroes at one point, as I recall, which is pretty pretty impressive to make that all uh, span. All, all fit together nicely. Yeah, well, Charles's series, uh, the, the novel
3: series, is still ongoing. There's a new hmm. book that just came out within the last few weeks. Um, and, yeah, Cubicle 7 did a whole bunch of, you know, supplements, adventures and everything for it. So
2: hmm. it's got a lot of scope, certainly. Fantastic. I'm oh, well, sorry, I just wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 Angus, uh, assuming the laundry isn't your personal favourite, <laughs> well, I've got two. One that a lot of people don't really consider as
3: a licensed role playing game, but actually started its life as a licensed role playing game, sure. which was called Cthulhu. Because no. Call of Cthulhu is obviously oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was originally licensed um, for Arkham yeah. House. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I love Call of Cthulhu, um, yeah, but yeah, that yeah. isn't traditionally considered a licensed role playing no, game. No, and no. certainly these days, with a lot of it being open source and out to copyright, yes. they can carry on So with if you were to pick a more sort of traditionally obvious licensed tra- role playing mm. game, what would you go for? The old TSR Marvel Super Heroes game. Oh, the, well. I'd go with the advanced box set, which was a blue covered box set as opposed to a yellow covered box set. But I loved, you know, it was a game that we played for many years back in the 80s and in the 90s. And I still look longingly at it even now. It's it's one of the first games on the shelf next to my desk. Mm. Um, it's I, I loved the phaser Rip system. Um, and I must say, of like, being able to create your own superheroes alongside the established Marvel characters. And also, we converted a lot of, like, DC characters and other independent characters into our little cosmology and made it our own. But, yeah, I loved, I loved the Marvel game. So what about you, Ross? What's your favourite? I think
1: it would have to be FASA's Star Trek RPG from the 1980s. That was a really, really, really big influence on me. It's like a still an influence on me today when I write games and I absolutely adored that game to bits. I mean, I don't even recall whether it was that great a game, but it was just it just imprinted on me so heavily that and I think the Ghostbusters RPG from mm. um End games around the same sort of time, those two licensed RPGs both really both featured
3: really heavily in my teenage years. The Ghostbusters, uh, Ghostbusters game was revolutionary as well, with the dice mechanic that it brought in and everything else. Yeah, we the discussed that in a previous yeah. episode, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was a brilliant game. And of course, one of the things that both um, Star Wars and Marvel have had is they've had a number of additions through different companies as well, because obviously, Star Wars was uh, there was a new edition came out from uh, deci- uh, Decipher Games, mm-hmm. I believe it was, back in around 2000 or thereabouts. Yes. Star Trek, sorry. Yes.
1: You've just started a yeah. massive yeah, yeah, bag war. Yeah. now. <laughs> oh, Angus, yeah, really Angus you heard it here crazy. first, people. Angus doesn't know the difference between <laughs> Star
4: Wars and Star Trek.
3: <laughs> oh no. no. So and me up, Luke. No. Mm. No.
2: Use the force, Scotty, yeah. <laughs> okay, so superball
3: and of course one of the things which is very similar between the Star Trek and Marvel games is they've had a number of different editions from a number of companies over the years because uh, Star Trek obviously had the Decipher games mm. um, that came out around 1999 2000 mm-hmm. and of course a more recent one by Modaphius Entertainment yeah there's been out. quite a few different Star mm. Trek games over the years um, A Marvel uh, TSR released the Saga system which was a different system that they you know moved away from the Phaser Rip back in the 90s and then Margaret Weiss did the um, Cortex Plus-style system for it, which I think only finished about four or five years ago. It's interesting there isn't a current Marvel game. I'd imagine that's possibly due to the the, the cost of a licence at the
1: moment. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars
3: presumably is
1: about similar, owned by the same company. There's currently a big, big licence game out for that at the Mm. moment from Fantasy Flight and has been for a number of years.
2: Or perhaps they don't want to cause a competition.
3: I, I yeah that that wouldn't be you know um disney would be happily to license both i don't think mm-hmm. that you know the competition between you're just in
1: thinking about the cost of licensing a game i mean you've licensed a few get you've like been involved in the licensing for uh, i believe uh dr who mm-hmm. yeah and things like that so you've been through the process a couple of times more recently with our own first trade game mm-hmm. so um, you know you, you know basically how this sort of thing works without sort of like giving away any any company's you know, company secrets. And what's the sort of range of costs that you'd be looking at sort of licensing a
3: tabletop RPG
1: for from a existing media
3: property? It, it varies drastically depending on the type of media property you're going for. For instance, um, a novel-based media property is almost always going to be cheaper than a film or TV mm. series property. One of the reasons for that is you're generally dealing with the author's agent or the author themselves when you're licensing... A, a novel-based property, mm-hmm. which helps enormously because it's, it's, it's a much more personal it's connection. Much, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas if you go to a TV or a film, a lot of them they've got their legal departments that immediately add kind of like zeros onto a thing because obviously they've got to get paid. You've got to be paying for their legal time and everything else. Um, generally speaking, a lot of TV and film properties will range between about fifteen to twenty five thousand dollars as an advance. Mm. So that is you know money you pay up upfront to be able to sign the license. I think it's safe to say that probably Star Wars was a Star Wars was a more lot more. Bigger. Yeah, um, you know this this is the standard run of a mill TV series and such like. So things like Harry Potter, Star Wars, even Marvel would obviously be. Obviously, Harry Potter a famously does not
1: have an RPG license because um, um, what's J- his name? J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling
3: is uh, is against the idea of other people sort of creating narratives in her world. Yeah, which is a real shame because, you know, to be, it would make a fantastic set and also would bring a lot of people into the yeah. hobby as well. She's strongly against the idea, She's, at least so far, yeah. Yeah, so, so far. It's it's like
1: a, know, a number of companies have approached um, J.K. Rowling about doing this, haven't they, and all been turned down?
3: Probably but. over the last 18 odd years because Watse approached them apparently in the early 2000s and there have been a number of companies since that, you know, talk talk to J.K. Rowling.
2: So, so is she just not into role-playing
3: games? Or?
1: Well, you know, there's, there's board games, there's card games, there's all sorts of merchandising yeah. for Harry Potter. It's just role-playing games, I guess, it's because when you're writing role-playing games, you're it's, it's a lot more of a narrative creative thing than, than creating a board game. Oh, and yeah. she kind of likes to maintain that kind of strict narrative control over her world.
3: And no. that, that has been seen in other licenses before, because uh, Last Unicorn, who got taken over by Wizards of Coast back in the late 90s, early, I think it was late 90s, they is had a the license sorry, for Dune.
2: Is that based on the book by Peter S. Beagle? That Last Unicorn, or was this a, No, no, last? this is a game company. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so last, last Unicorn, the games company,
3: oh. um, got the license for Dune by Frank Herbert.
2: Oh.
3: And they'd licensed it off the estate, and they were developing it, and then they got taken over by Wizards of the Coast. Now, one of the problems that they came about was that Frank Herbert's estate didn't realize that Dune, the role-playing game, was going to be a book-format game. I think they thought it was going to be something else. Okay, um, um, it's one of the things that you can fall, fall foul of sometimes because a number of companies might already have existing licenses for book products or like to think, you know, their book products are their novels and that is the format that their novels will be in and don't want anything else that could be confused with it. Now, obviously, from a fan and professional point of view, it's very hard to confuse a role-playing game with a, with an actual novel. But in some you know, in, in circles that don't know it so well, yeah, it could be you know it could be conceived yeah. that way, especially when you've got a big license that might get bookstand distribution in some of the, you know, some of mm. the big there's also an
1: interesting aspect that when you're licensing a property, you could perhaps license the books, but not the TV show, or the books, but not the film. So like, for example, like, uh, Green Running's upcoming Expanse game is based on the books, not on the TV show, and I'm fairly sure their Game of Thrones uh, Song of Ice and Fire mm. uh, game, exactly the same thing, based on the books. Not the TV show. Um our own Judge Dread game based on the comics, not the sort of Carl Urban or Sylvester Stallone movies, nothing to do with those. Yeah.
3: And those and, and when, when when we licensed um, Lord of Rings when I was at Cubicle Seven, mm-hmm. again that was from the the, the novel series really a apart you know, not the, not not, the, not the Steve movie. Jackson movies. But yeah. you see, one of those things is that that's a conscious decision because if you if you license it from the multimedia from the cover of a TV film, A, it could be a lot more expensive than licensing it through the novel and it's version. it's a lot more restrictive. But it's mm-hmm. a lot more restrictive because when you think about it, then you'll be using their photography, their images from films, etc., mm. which they only show so much, you know, so many settings and everything else. Whereas obviously if you license from a book... You'll be using your own artwork, so it allows you to be able to be a lot more expansive of where you want to take, you know, take the game, take the setting, and the type of things that you want to portray in it. So it does does give two very very different, you know, styles of approach to licensing. Mm -hmm.
1: Over the over the years, there's been an awful lot of uh, licensed role playing games. What are some of the sort of more amusing or sort of odd choices for licensed RPGs that you've come across?
3: Um, I I once had the Dallas role playing (laughs) game um, by SPI, and I brought it came out in the early early 80s
2: sorry so just to interrupt the Dallas role-playing game you refer to the TV series J.R. Ewan <laughs> and Bobby
3: <laughs> and everyone else yeah um, I, I, I brought it I brought it really as a novelty item because one uh, well, <laughs> yeah I saw it in an auction that one of my friends was doing selling off a load of his old games and I thought right you know How could you not? I I have to have this. Um, It was actually James Wallace who was running Hogshead Publishing. Um, He had a whole host of games that he was selling off. And and I brought a few of them. I brought the Dallas role-playing game, which, like I say, originally came out about 1980, 81 from SPI. Um, Now, there's an ongoing joke within the industry uh, that came from a quote from, I think, one of the guys involved in SPI. They printed 80,000 copies of the game. And he said that was seventy nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine too many. <laughs> oh. um, it flopped. It didn't do very well oh. at all. It is, yeah. I don't know how many copies are still out there in existence. You should, you should send your copy out as a prize. I one week. sold it. I sold it, <laughs> oh. unfortunately, probably about eighteen years ago, um, along with another one of the games that I got off James at the time, which was He-Man and Masters of the Universe role playing game, um, which was quite amazing. I'm kind of surprised there isn't one of that. Currently,
2: actually,
3: I'm surprised there isn't a new yeah. Given that you know, He-Man has never really gone away, and there's a new film coming out and everything else, Mm. so I wouldn't be surprised um, if there isn't other licensed games. Which I found were very odd, Necroscope. I don't know what that oh, is. The ne- Brian Lumley vampires, mm, yeah, Necroscope Ooh. and Tales from the Crypt were both produced okay. by West End Games as Masterbook Games in about Ooh, 1994, okay. um, along at the same time with their, with their version of the Indiana Jones game that had previously been the TSR mm. um, property um, back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's been a load, but there was also um, I think it was called Femforce, which was based upon an independent series of comics again back in the mid mid. 90s, late 80s, uh, which is an all-female superhero group. Um, mm. I can't remember who produced the comics or much about it, but I remember that being produced in kind of like this box set and everything else. But, yeah, there's 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 been tons, yeah. And there's been some great family-friendly ones. It's like for Tales of Questia, which is out now, which is My Little Pony role-playing mm. game, and that's stunning. Yeah, you know, that was a really, really nice role-play game. So, yeah, what's what's the weirdest licensed role-play game you guys have come across uh, you mean, apart from Tales of Equestria. <laughs> <laughs> that's purely because... I don't know what might be fun to ask, is
1: what, what licensed role-playing game would you really like to see that mm. does not
3: currently exist? Oh, one okay. of the other things. One, mm. um, there's also an, an Adventure Time role-playing game. Now, Adventure uh, Time is yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. a massively popular cartoon. Now, a lot of people who listen to this podcast probably don't realise there's a role-playing game on it. And that's because it's never been its never been released in English, and there's actually not able to be licensed into English. So you've got a French version, a Portuguese version, a Spanish version. But because of the licensing um, contracts, because of the different geographical regions, meaning that Presumably, the, British, the English language license, there's comic book holders and novel companies probably have an Adventure Time license for printed product. It's unable to be translated and into English.
1: It's interesting talking about kind of restrictions on what you can produce. For example, Fantasy Flight don't produce uh, PDFs of the uh, Star Wars games because apparently they're not allowed to release like, electronic products. I think when the license was written, what people had in mind was computer games mm. and video games and things like that. But basically, PDFs count. So they can't release PDF versions of those
3: books. Yeah, a lot of companies now, when you're doing licensing, you have to include. You, you try and get the electronic book mm. included in that license because otherwise, if you don't, yeah, yeah. they'll they think it's an app or you know a computer. game you know, it's 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 very licenses are very very carefully worded to make sure that you are playing within this certain structure and box.
1: Exactly. And licences tend to be, depending, of course, on the company, tend to be fairly heavily overseen as well. Everything needing approval, not just the text, but also advertising, promotional pieces, things like that. So, you know, and that can sort of take time sending things back and forth, having things approved, having them sent back, changing them and things like that.
3: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons where you might not hear a lot of advanced information on the run-up to a licensed product release up in until the last kind of like few weeks or months before it comes out. And like you say, that's largely because... Every step of the way, everything, every visual, and everything else, initially will pro- need to have approval from the actual you know, the owners order, yeah. of the license. Um, so, you know, for instance, whether or not you're doing a a game based upon a computer, a novel, an existing game property in some cases, like the Warhammer games um, or film, etc. You, you, you can't just whack
1: out a quick uh, screenshot or a no. or a ad or something, or, or hand out a preview or something without having explicit permission from the IP holder in the first place who's got to have seen that piece of media you're putting out, approved it, probably asked you to change it a couple of times or things like that. And, you know, that's why, that's why with licensed properties, you, you sometimes can feel a little frustrated waiting to hear. And then suddenly, you know, a month before the game comes out, you suddenly
3: hear a whole bunch of you stuff. You get a deluge. Because,
1: because the uh, IP holder's gotten around to, you know, approving a whole load of stuff that they can then use.
2: Yeah, uh, so maybe to ask you a question about a property that you might be a bit more familiar with. So with the new Judge Dredd game coming out and What's old is New, mm. that's with uh, 2000 AD, are they the license holders? Yeah. Uh, so Rebellion, Rebellion is the company. Um, a company, so they own 2000 AD, and mm-hmm. Judge Dredd is one storyline within okay. the, the comic book 2000 AD. So, so were you able to like have... NPCs and stuff, and oh, yeah, effective. we've
1: got a license pretty much
2: for the entirety of 2000 AD. So, if you want rules of Judge Dredd, Hershey, Anderson, yeah, 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 everything yeah. in there, everything yeah. in there, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Judge
4: Death as well, yeah, yeah. everything, everything, Fantastic.
2: everything. Yeah, it sounds like you've got it very comprehensively good, then,
1: yeah, well, we should have a physical copy of that book in our hands within the next few days as well. There's one winging its way towards me as we speak, I can't wait. Excellent. I'm going to lick it when it arrives.
2: Ah, yes, of course. That's how you make sure it's stays the rules. Osmosis.
3: <laughs> so, so what licenses out there would you hmm. love to see turned into a role-playing game?
0: That's a
1: tough one, because a lot of the ones that I'd be keen on already are. So Star Trek would be top of my list. Already, d- already done. Um, Star Wars, high up, already done. Lord of the Rings, high up, already done. I'm trying to think. Harry Potter. I'm not a massive Harry Potter fan, to be honest. I think it would be a great... Um, License for someone to have, but I, I don't think it's one that I would personally play. Um, what licenses?
4: Oh, I think... EastEnders, the RPG. Get out of my pub, you sack!
3: Sounds like you'd be going down Dallas, and <laughs> probably uh, for 179,959 to me. <laughs> um,
1: I think... Um, I'd one, love to see a new Ghostbusters game. Uh, though to be fair, I'm not entirely sure you can improve much on the old one. I love that to bits, but yeah, I'd love to see a new Ghostbusters game.
2: One that I would be very interested in seeing. Not sure how you'd implement it, but an XCOM role-playing game. Oh, James oh, Bond.
1: Yeah, I'd love to see a really good spy game, maybe licensed um, off the James Bond franchise. That could be fun.
3: Mm, yeah, James, because there, there was a James Bond game many, many years ago from Victoria Games back in the 80s. But what I it's think been would, been fun, would be
1: fun would be, though, not to base it on the films, but on the books and make it a period piece so it's set in the 60s. Okay, yeah. I think I quite uh, enjoy that. So you, instead of having sort of invisible cars and stuff, you'd have, you know, the more sort of um, old-fashioned kind of gadgets that... that Briefcase with the garrote wire and oh, yeah. you know that, that sort of thing. So it's not quite as high tech, and it's more about the spy craft rather
2: than your, your real Cold War sort of, sort of umbrella dart gun. Yeah, sort of like. I
1: like always think the Russians make
2: great villains,
3: and of course, also back then you would also have kind of like remnants of a Nazi underground or something like that playing mm. around as well, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, you know? yeah. So yeah, that'd be another yeah. another thing I, w- I would definitely
2: be interested in seeing. Tool around in sixties Berlin. Yeah, sort yeah, of similar fashion to Atomic Blonde. Yeah.
1: No, no mobile phones, no internet, you know, all that sort of stuff.
2: It certainly makes uh, researching and finding information a lot harder for your players. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what
3: about you then, Angus? What would you like to see? I'd like to see a new Marvel game come out, but and that's yeah, that's a license that's sort of been around in the past. For something brand new, I would probably say Mortal Engines. Which is actually it's a fantastic series of novels by a guy called Philip Reeve, and they've actually got a film series coming out that Peter Jackson uh, took. Yeah, I've seen the trailer. It's ago. great big cities on wheels yeah, eating mo- each other. Mobile yeah. cities, but the setting is uh, fantastic. There, I don't quite get it. Oh, at if, least, all I've seen, admittedly, is the trailer, but I didn't quite get it. Yeah, the, the novels are fantastic. Yeah, like, um, I'm a big fan of His Dark Materials, mm-hmm. um, which I would say, if you like His Dark Materials, his um, Mortal Engines is an easier read, but very much for that similar target audience. Yeah. It's an excellent, excellent series of novels. I'll tell you what else I would quite
1: like to see, and this has been done before, but do you remember the old uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game?
3: I think that's long overdue for a new edition.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And um, just the way that you could just create all these different sort of intelligent humanoid animals.
3: <laughs> Talk, talking about humanoid animals, Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse would be fantastic. I'd love to see that. Crikey, DM.
4: Yeah, that, that would be pretty fun.
1: Yeah, no, a Danger Mouse game would be... You could make a great kids' game out of that, couldn't you? Yeah. A sort of simple, fast-flowing, funny kids' game. Custard
2: pie guns.
1: Yeah. Whole works. That would be fun.
2: It has been a while since Danger Mouse was on TV. It hasn't, actually.
1: There's been a recent TV series. It came back, uh, what, two years ago? Yeah, Yeah, there's a new TV series. It's got Stephen Fry's Colonel Kay, and I can't remember who else is in it, but um, yeah. Yeah. resurrected And and it's back on TV. Who knew? Hey, Peter... Yes, Russ. See that microphone in front of you? It's very shiny. Yeah. You know that costs money, that did. No. Nah. See the microphone in front of me? Yeah. That cost money too. Huh. The one in front of Angus
3: I just found in a dump. That yeah, works. I can tell. It's the, uh, the, the yesterday's takeaway in food that's dripping.
2: <laughs> <out>. I <laughs> thought I was just your lunch.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, so we, um, you know, we've had to spend quite a bit of money on equipment to make this podcast. And we also have to pay, uh, Daryl, our amazing sound engineer every week. Um, so we would really, really appreciate it if you would, you know, see your way to throw in a couple of dollars our way in supporting our podcast via our Patreon. Uh, so we currently have two patrons. Two patrons. Uh, so thank you very much to Andrew Malletts and Shane Clays. Thank you very much for your support. Thank Couldn't do you this without you. Yeah, head on to patreon.com forward slash Morris. Drop us a dollar or so a month and we'll be very, very, very grateful. Okay, last week we held a competition. Do you remember? Yes, yes. Do you remember the answer to the competition? Do you remember the question to the competition?
2: Um, as I recall, it was something along the lines of, where do you find the three-eyed blatter beast? Correct, and Angus, do you recall the answer? Oh. Oh, I can't remember where
3: we find the fleet free eye blatter beast. Well, the winner of our competition
1: was at Stormbreakerer, Breakerer, um, Tyler MC on Twitter. Who answered, the three-eyed blatter beast lived in the caves of Lesser Doom. I should have remembered that. Really much less impressive, he says, now that it's all written out. It's not like the six-eyed blatter beast of the caves of Greater Doom or anything. That would have been impressive. So, Stormbreaker, -er, you are the winner. Um, Message me on Twitter with your address and I'll get that book sent straight out to you. Yeah, so uh, in future, rather than tweet me where anyone can read the answer, you're going to need to email me instead. Ooh, exciting. And what email address should they use? That is an excellent question, and I'm going to answer it. Are you ready? I'm born ready. Let's do it. The answer to the question, and this is not the answer to this week's competition question I hasten to add.
2: <laughs> this is the my question just now, yes, but what email address they
1: should is use? at
3: gmail.com morrispodcast at gmail.com morrispodcast at gmail.com
1: all together now morrispodcast Morris at gmail.com. gmail.com so send your answers to that email address and only please send them to that email address this week's competition yes involves another question related to our sketch this week <gasps> the uh, The question is as follows what is the name of the monster psychiatrist extraordinaire <gasps> Anyway, send your answers to morrispodcast at gmail.com. The prize this week is a copy of the uh, first part of the 5th edition, War of the Burning Sky Adventure Path. It will be a soft cover, full cover um, adventure called The Scouring of Gate Pass, which will go out to you next week if you are the winner of this competition.
2: Ooh, what time does the competition close?
1: Friday, midnight, UK time, as always. Fantastic.
3: Good luck, folks.
1: Well, thank you very much for listening. See you next week. That's goodbye for me, Russ. Goodbye for me, Peter coffee, and goodbye
0: for me. Nancy. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPT news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to Podcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo! Off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here.